my goal is to educate you about how the system works to avoid those pitfalls and to simplify the process. Now, my services are free. Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. Welcome to Rock Your Retirement. This is the show where we talk about what you need besides money before you retire. If you're already retired, we can give you some great ideas on how to have a better retirement. Remember, there are other things to think about besides money when dealing with retirement. And if you'd like to have a more interactive experience, join our private Facebook group by searching for Rock Your Retirement Community on Facebook. Our guest for today is Sydney Kennedy. Sydney has a bachelor's in sociology and psychology from the University of Manitoba and an advanced degree in organizational behavior. In 1987, she emigrated with her husband to the United States, where she devoted her time to volunteer fundraising and development for animal causes in Southern California. After a short career developing high-tech conferences and workshops for UCSD Connect, Sydney chose to devote her knowledge and experience to elder care, specifically senior housing, and that was in 2006. Sydney, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kathy. It's my pleasure to be with you. Well, I am so excited that you came on. And you know, I didn't know this, but you and I have a connection through UCSD Connect. I was a Tech Coast Angel for a while. Do you know what that is? Absolutely. Yeah. How fun. I know. And so we definitely have a connection. There's not a lot of times when I talk to people who even know what UCSD Connect is. And so I'm very, very excited. So what exactly did you do for UCSD Connect? Well, I have a background in conference planning and production uh, for business development purposes, entrepreneurial spirit that I have. And so I was manager of new programs, planning and development. And my charter was to develop um, high-tech conferences and workshops for our membership and for new businesses in um, areas that might help our members expand their businesses and help new businesses emerge. So things like uh, nanotechnology, national security, this was right after 9-11. It was a very, very enlightening period for me, really exciting, especially as I have no acumen in the scientific field at all. (laughs) Well, you don't necessarily need to know about the scientific field to help businesses in that field expand, right? Right, exactly. Wow. I loved it. It was really, really, uh, really a lot of fun. 
Wow, it's so interesting that you went from doing that to doing this. But before we move on to what you're doing now, I just have to say those wine events were one of my favorite events when I used to attend them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. I bet they were. They were for everybody. Absolutely. For our listeners, the UCSD Connect is a whole program. It's not just one program. It's a whole slew of programs that helps small businesses that are startups, either in the high tech or biotech or some type of technology business. It it really helps them grow. It works as somewhat of an incubator. Wouldn't you say that, Sydney? Yes. uh, Yeah. A redefinition of an incubator. Sure. And and just as you were, angel investors are there, but everybody's excited about developing and helping new businesses emerge. And that's that's the greatest part, uh, especially in developing San Diego. Absolutely. So thank you for all that you did in that. So tell me, how did you go from doing that to doing what you do now? Well, as you know, Connect downsized, and I was one of the um, people downsized, the positions downsized. And so at that point, I thought that I would start my own business. And in doing my research, I really wanted to get into the elder care industry. And this was 10 years ago. I looked at various um, areas, but there was one that stood out, and that was senior housing. I wasn't looking at being an employee, but this was a really great opportunity where I really was going to pretty much run my own business, but they were going to do all the uh, overhead stuff. So I I accepted a position with a company. I was doing referral business. Um, I became a certified senior advisor, which is a society, a national society and accreditation that I obtained after studying and then going through their rigorous testing. I became a professional advisor to families in the area of senior housing and placement. Wow. Okay. Now you're not with that company anymore, are you? No, I'm not. I started my own agency about four and a half years ago. So, Sydney, you used to work in the industry of referral. What do you do now? It's the same industry. People use the word placement or referral. I think that placement is more to do with medical field and referral is non-medical, I would say. I don't want to get too technical, but I help families who are in crisis or are seniors who are ready to look at independent living or assisted living or need any type of elder care. I uh, help them to find what is appropriate for them. Okay. And how do you do that? Like, how would you know if I said, hey, my mom really needs some care, you know, she's thinking about going into a, let's say, independent, how would you know what's right for my mom? Well, first of all, what I do is I offer to meet with them personally, individually, and uh, it depends on the circumstance, but my goal is to assess the needs of the family in terms of the clinical needs, especially if they're a little bit more advanced in their care needs. If they're independent, that's pretty easy. So I'm interested in knowing their health and their diagnoses and what their care needs might be now and what they might be in the future. I'm also interested in knowing what their financial 
parameters are in terms of what their monthly income is and and if they have any savings or long-term care insurance or any relationship with the Veterans Affairs Administration. I'm interested in knowing what their geographic needs are, family involvement. Those are the basic parameters. And of course, there's always the individual. I'm very interested in knowing who the individual is or who the couple is and what their interests are and what their background is. I think that's always important because this isn't an exact science. It's a personalized business. So let's say I'm somebody who doesn't know anything about this industry. I've never used somebody like you to help me find a place to live. I've never used somebody like you to help a parent or spouse find a place to live. I don't even know what questions to ask. What do I do? (laughs) Well, first of all, you're referred to me by anybody, a friend, a doctor, a social worker, a lawyer, an accountant, anybody who's working with seniors or any friend of yours. My goal is to, first of all, educate you about how the system works so that you can avoid the many, many pitfalls that are out there because everybody's got a story to tell you. Sometimes it's not the right information that they give you. They do it with love, but it's not the right information necessarily. And so my goal is to educate you about how the system works to avoid those pitfalls and to simplify the process. Now, my services are free. Oh, how can you do that? Well, if you happen to use me to find an appropriate community for you to move to, if you decide to do that, then I'm paid a referral fee. So I want to clarify that there are many people that don't move right away. Not everybody's ready to move when they call me. They might need just respite care, short-term relief as a caregiver. They might need in-home care. They might need daycare. They may need Medicare advice. They may need all sorts of different things. And I do have those resources. After 10 years, I have those resources. They may just want to know how the system works. I'm very willing to share that information with them. If at some point, whether now or later, they're ready to consider options for senior housing, that's where I'd like them to work with me because that's how I'm able to provide free services to people who don't need that kind of referral. Okay. So is your, you get paid kind of like a travel agent then, right? Or a realtor. Or a realtor. Okay. Because if I refer you and you end up moving to that community, then I am paid a referral fee. And I want to add too, Kathy, that the benefit of working with somebody like me who's experienced and seasoned and has worked with all of these places for as many years as I have, I'm not going to send you to one of the communities that is not appropriate. In other words, if you're in a wheelchair and you cannot transfer from your wheelchair to the toilet by yourself, I'm not going to send you to a community that will not give you the assistance that you need. I know which ones will. So little things like that, I'm not going to waste your time. Or if you have a 
a fixed budget. I'm not going to send you to a place that you can't afford. That makes total sense. Absolutely. What about, do you ever get into knowing if the communities have broken any rules or things like that? Or is that not really something that is, is that not really something that you do? Yes. I, I'm. First of all, I want to make it clear that I don't make the decision for the families. I refer. So I never recommend. It really is up to the family to make the final decision on what is the appropriate option for their loved one or the senior to make the appropriate decision. But having said that, I do screen the communities. Uh, I've worked with them for a long time. I kind of know the front door and the back door and the reputation. I have access to all of the government reports. I coach my families on how to assess the communities so that that they can get that information too because they have a right to that information. So I coach them on how if they like the place, they can zero in on the information that they need to know. So that's how they protect themselves when they get to the point of making a final decision. But it is their decision. It's not mine. Well, I love that you do that. And I also like the fact that you are very involved in the senior community. It's not just, oh, I'm I'm working, I'm making these referrals, and I'm not really involved. Tell me about your involvement in the senior world. Well, I happen to have a passion for dementia because... Uh, you know, I think it's a I think it's a family disease, and I don't mean by that that everybody in the family is going to get dementia. I mean that uh, when a loved one has dementia, it really affects the whole family. It's such a nasty disease. When you see your loved one's personality go away, yet they're there right in front of you, it's very hard. And, you know, I have a little bit of experience with that myself, but I, I've, it's, it's a passion of mine. So I'm very involved with the San Diego Dementia Consortium. But even prior to that, I used to attend every workshop that I possibly could attend. So I, I understand what really good dementia care looks like. And I sh- love sharing my information, my knowledge, my books, my resources with my families. And I think they appreciate that because I think that the more information and support that they have, the better off they are for making those important decisions. So, you know, that's one of the ways that I'm involved. And and when I tour the, the uh, board and cares and the memory care communities, I don't hesitate to talk to the caregivers and ask them about their training. Because there are lots of communities, I hate to say, that don't train their caregivers very often in memory care or dementia care. And it's really important not only that those caregivers working with dementia patients get breaks and relief, never get stressed and be very patient and kind and loving, but that they have an education about how to approach all the situations that they run into. You know, that is so important. I am so glad that that is part of, you know, what you do and the services that you offer. Thank you so much for that, Sydney. Is there a any kind of a personal reason why you're so involved in the dementia? Well, I, you know, think 
I always think there, but for the grace of God, go I. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I, I, you know, I never know. This is very personal, Kathy, but um, <laughs> I remember one of the very first workshops that I attended uh, many years ago at Silverado, Gilbert Ho, a leading researcher, was talking about brain injuries and concussions and kids playing soccer and football and all that. And of course, now we know that a lot of the professional football players and whatnot are suffering. And and I sat there kind of humbled because I've had five concussions. Oh my gosh, five. And so <laughs> I'm always thinking when I can't remember a word, I'm always very, very much thinking, oh, no, I'm getting dementia. Yeah, I, I do think about it. But it's not just selfish reasons. I think that it's a it's a nasty disease. I'm a big supporter of the Glenner, the George S. Glenner Family Daycare Centers. I think they provide wonderful services, again, to the caregivers of memory care patients. And any research that's done to try and find a cure is extremely important. But my mom is 96, and she's now, you know, got short-term memory loss. She's still smarter than the average bear, but I can <laughs> see that. And and we've had conversations, personal conversations, and she says, don't tell anybody. Well, of course, everybody knows. But, you know, it's a matter of personal pride. And uh, it's very, very hard for somebody because a person who has dementia is not stupid. They know they have dementia. So it's very interesting, sad, sad disease. Absolutely. My dad has been, you know, he has Parkinson's disease and he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease as well, you know, which is probably part of the Parkinson's. But talking about concussions, I had a concussion when I was in high school and, uh, you know, I haven't had as many as you have. I don't know if you played football yeah. or what your deal was, Sydney. We'll have to talk about that later. I have any <laughs> but mine was actually playing powder puff football. I went down and I only could see half of, um, you know, I, there was like a, a, one of my eyes wasn't seen. I could only see half. And then I started really getting nauseous. At the time, I wasn't living with my parents. I was living in a foster home and they didn't have medical insurance on me. So they didn't want to take me to the doctor. And so finally, I mean, this was not in California, by the way. And finally, I begged them to take me to the doctor because I was so nauseous. And, and I guess that's one of the symptoms of a concussion. So when you see me, you know, not remembering something, I'm going to blame it on dementia and the concussion. <laughs> Good. Get as much sympathy as you can. Yes, I need it. We all we all need sympathy. <laughs> exactly. On that note, let's take a short break. We'll be right back with Sydney Kennedy right after this. Remember all those projects you put off because you were too busy? Now you have the time, but why aren't they getting done? Hi, my name is Lisa Woodruff, and I'm a professional organizer and productivity expert. So why are those projects that you put off until you had the time not getting done while you rock your retirement? Well, just because you have the time doesn't mean you'll actually do the projects. So here are three tips. Number one, give yourself permission to let the project go. Maybe you don't really want it done anyway. 
Or number two, can you do it with a friend? Is there someone else that also wants to get a similar project done in their life or in their home, and you could both be accountability partners to each other? Or finally, number three, give yourself a schedule and a deadline. Let's just get it done. Each year, pick one project that you are putting off until retirement and get it done. Give yourself an hour a day on your calendar and set the goal to be done by December 1st. You can do this. Check out the Organize 365 podcast for more on how to get organized as you rock your retirement. And now I'm back with Sydney Kennedy talking about dementia. So tell me, you were talking about your mom and how she checked herself out of assisted living. Tell me that story. Well, you know, ferociously independent, that whole generation is, and she wouldn't wear her medical alert button, lived alone. Uh, She had a caregiver because she'd lost a driver's license. She had a caregiver that would pop in and take her to the store on a regular basis and uh, lived outside of town. My mother lives in Victoria, Canada. She just happened to be in Victoria that day and popped in to see mother at 1130 this morning. And as near as we can figure out, mother had been on the floor from 730 the night before. Oh, my gosh. And she fractured her back and she had a very bad UTI and she ended up in the hospital. They did a procedure on her spine, you know, the plastic or whatever. And six weeks later, they discharged her and said she had to have 24-hour care. So the only place that we could place her was in a very beautiful mansion overlooking the ocean. And she went in and called everybody inmates. And um, <laughs> oh, no. after 30 days, she had a friend of hers come over from Vancouver and write a termination notice. And uh, so she went home against everybody's wishes and continued to fall, I might add. Oh, no. She just wanted to be at home. She was. This was not her choice. And she was stubborn. And uh, she fell a couple of times and hit her head. And it was after 90 days that she, or nine months, I should say, that she called me and said, you know, I'm lonely. I'm ready to move. And I said, well, sell your house and then call me because I wasn't going to go through that again with her. You know, me being in California and her being in B.C., I wasn't going to uh, go through that again. So she sold her house very quickly and then we could move her. And she's loving it. I mean, she has a great time. She plays bridge all the time. She's one of the most popular people in the place. And she, you know, it's the classic, what took me so long? She's very popular. She's had boyfriends and, (laughs) you know, she's living Lolita Loca. Okay. But she didn't go back to the mansion. No, she went to a bigger place. We just had to do our homework and find a place that was appropriate. And, I mean, this place is gorgeous. Uh, It has a pub. Most of the people are independent. She's now in assisted living, but she dines with the people in independent. And she plays bridge at least four times a week. And she's having a great time. I love it. So are there different rules in Canada about these types of homes than there are in the U.S.? You know, they are very different. But I think that they're also very kind and feel very comfortable. They love her. They look after her. I asked them at what point they would kick her out. And they just said that, you know, if she started 
if she couldn't walk, then she would have to leave. They will not look after her if she can't walk. And then will she move to the U.S. or would you help? Do they have places in Canada that help people who don't walk? Oh, sure. Sure, sure. But probably it would be a nursing home. I have to look into it. I hope she's out of her mind by that time, Kathy. Yeah, I hope I am too. You know, by the time... (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping they'll find a a cure. I hope that by the time I'm old, they'll find a cure for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, so I wanted to ask you a couple, you you had a couple of stories that we were talking about before we started um, recording. And one of them was about the low income gentleman who inherited this big house. Let us know a little bit about him. Well, that's a really interesting story. It's I'm going to try and keep it short. He was, I'm guessing he was picked off the street by this kind man who took him into his house and he lived there on the sofa. And when the gentleman died, he willed him the house to live in as long as he could. And he left enough money for him to pay for the water bill and the taxes. But ultimately, the garage door broke and he his car broke down and he couldn't get the door open to take the garbage container out to the street so for about a year and a half he was double bagging his his garbage and stockpiling it oh no in the house and so ultimately his neighbors squealed on him snitched on him police finally came and 5150 him i got a call from a behavioral health unit to see if i could help him he had about $2,000 income, and he owned this house, which was in Point Loma, 180-degree view of the ocean, but it was a one-bedroom house, and you can imagine how full of uh, mold and everything it was. So I called in a fiduciary, a realtor, and I met with him myself first. He was delightful. Really, he was he was not on any medications, but he had no idea of personal belongings. He had no idea. He offered me the house. He offered the realtor the house. He oh, offered no. to give the social worker the house. So he had no idea of uh, material goods at all, owning anything. The realtor wanted to fix the house up and have a construction company kind of net value and everything. I didn't like the sounds of that. So the fiduciary said, no, we're just going to put it on the market, see what the house brings. First day we had 30 offers. Oh my gosh. So the fiduciary said, let's see what we can do. The realtor said, all right, we're going to put it on the market. 350. The first person who comes with a three-day close, all cash gets the house. That's what we got. The money went into an account for this person. And uh, I had found a place for him to live uh, for $2,000 independently. It was a little house at the back of this board and care that was just for independent. Well, we moved in there. And the odd thing was that the owner of the board and care said to me, he's giving me the house. And I said, no, he's not. She said, oh, yeah, I've already had him to the doctor. He doesn't have dementia. He can give me the house. Oh, my gosh. And I said, no, he's not. 
and don't even go there or you're going to be in big trouble. And she said, oh, no, we have an appointment with the attorney next week. So I called my fiduciary and I said, you better get out there and stop this right now. So he went out and met with her personally. And we have repaired the relationship, uh, this board and care and I. Um, she She's a good person. She's got a big heart. She's just having a lot of financial problems. And I would never put her in a position where she would have any access to any money ever again. But she's a wonderful caregiver. His money is safe and he is happy as a clam there and the fiduciary is looking after him. And I won't ever work with that realtor again. But it was a really good story. Absolutely. And I am glad that you were looking out for them and that this gentleman has a fiduciary. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why fiduciaries are needed because, you know, if we have some problems with cognition, they can help prevent you losing your home or giving everything away or getting scammed, actually. So I love the fact that that you're doing, that you work with fiduciaries. Thank you. So, Sydney, you helped put together a freebie for my listeners called Dispelling the Nursing Home Myth for Long-Term Care. Tell us a little bit about this freebie and what it talks about. Well, it's a, a very informative article because we don't see this as much anymore, but really there are very, very few people who need nursing homes anymore, and that's the myth. People who are not plugged in to senior housing will think that, oh gosh, mom and dad are going to have to go to a nursing home. Or seniors nowadays will think, well, you know, when I'm old and frail, I have to go to a nursing home. Actually, nursing homes are only for people who have a medical need, which would be people who have a feeding tube, a trachea, open wounds beyond stage two, a drip or injections, need injections when they can't self-inject, like maybe brittle diabetics. The other people that need nursing home care are people who are on Medi-Cal. And those are the people that have low income, no savings, no insurance, and they can't afford private pay. So I often hear people say, well, mom's going to be bed bound or she is bed bound. Therefore, she will need to go to a nursing home or mom has dementia. So ultimately, she'll have to go to a nursing home. Man, there is I would go out of my way to avoid a nursing home. So what we have nowadays, we have assisted living, the big assisted living communities, and they're wonderful, but they're really for social needs, they don't provide a really high level of care. If you pretty much can't stand to transfer from bed to wheelchair or bed to wheelchair to commode, then you pretty much have to leave large assisted living in most cases. So we have these wonderful residential care homes. They're also called group homes, board and cares. Some of them are awful. But many of them are wonderful, and I know the good ones. And they keep seniors who are frail right until the end of life. They have hospice waivers. They look after dementia care, and they are wonderful TLC. Six residents generally, two caregivers for six people. That's where I want to go when I'm old and frail. The other great thing about them is that their pricing is all-inclusive. So what you pay when you go in 
is likely what you're going to be paying when you pass. That is awesome. Thank you so much for putting together this freebie. And for my listeners, once again, that can be reached at rockyourretirement.com slash senior living. Another handout that I have who pays for senior care. It's a wonderful handout that I, I give to families who call me and say, they're going to discharge my mom and her income is $1,000. Can you help me find a place for her? Mm-hmm. And I can't. Any place that would take $1,000, I wouldn't want my dog to live in. And, and when we say 1000 we're talking about in San Diego. So if you're listening to this in Ohio, you know, that might be different. But here in San Diego, it's much, much, much more money than $1,000 right. a month. Right. And so then I can coach them on how to get on Medi-Cal or Medicaid in another state, you know, look after their mom. And then they tell me, well, they're they're pushing her out. They're pushing her out. And that handout, there's a code that they can use to stand up to the social workers, unfortunately, to say, no, my mother is not leaving. If they're in a rehabilitation community that is Medi-Cal or Medicaid certified, by law, they can't kick them out. And that's where our low-income seniors who need care and can't afford private pay or can't live with their family and really shouldn't because of their level of care, that's where they live the rest of their lives. Okay. Well, I am so glad that the states do help people who don't have the funds because, you know, what are they going to do if they need care? You know, so that um, Medicaid, Medi-Cal, you know, I feel completely comfortable um, with that because I see what happens to people. You know, I, I, um, I went out to meet with a gentleman once and I went to his house and it was completely, I have to tell you, Sydney, it was completely filthy. And he was, um, I, I don't know what medical condition he had. I think it was probably diabetes. And I was appalled because I had to really, I had to move cobwebs in order to plug in my computer, but that wasn't the worst part of it. He had some kind of mold growing on his legs and oh dear, yeah, it was, it was really, really sad. And so there are people out there that need help. And I'm so glad that we do have, you know, charities and the state that can help people who need, need help. So thanks again for coming on the show. Before we end, I wanted to talk to you about what people can do to help have a better retirement. What do you think people should know before they retire? Well, you know, as regards senior housing, you should know what your options are if you run out of money. I think if you're young enough, consider looking into an insurance policy, a life insurance policy that provides long-term care. I'm not sure that long-term care insurance is viable anymore. I'm thinking that a life insurance policy that provides long-term care is probably a better way to go, but, you know, that's your decision. And, you know, baby boomers are now looking into new trends like living offshore scares me to death, but I'm not a world (laughs) traveler. And there are lots of new sort of communal housing ideas that are 
around and there's books that have been written and things like that. But I think that if there were any advice that I could give for a successful retirement, it would be get out there and be active when you retire. Volunteer. Don't stay home. Get out and volunteer. Be as active as you can. Keep your mobility. Stretch. Do Tai Chi. When I go into these communities, they all have exercise classes and Tai Chi is hugely popular. Just stay as active as you can. I think that's the big thing. And talking about volunteer work, am I wrong? Did a little birdie tell me that you do volunteer work with your dogs? Yes, they're both <laughs> they're both uh, therapy dogs. So it's it's pretty easy. I take them with me when I make sales calls or do tours or visit clients. I'll take them with me to visit. Anybody, I'll go into a rehab and say to the social workers, do you have any people that are kind of blue today? Because my dogs would love to meet them. And I have two little toy poodles that are very well behaved. And one of them is uh, insatiably social. (laughs) Uh, And uh, he's never met a, a stranger. So, yes, that's what I do now as a volunteer. So there's all kinds of things that you can do as a volunteer. The, the trick is finding something that you're passionate about and using that to help you have a good retirement. So anything else that you'd like to say? Would you like to give out your contact information? I'd love to. I just want to say that you can call me on the weekends too. I'll give you my cell phone. If I'm not available, I just don't answer. But my cell is 858 858- Nine four five one seven three one, and my website is time to move placement dot com. And don't hesitate to call if you have any questions. There's no stupid questions. Well, wonderful. Thanks again for coming on the show, and for my listeners, the freebie once again can be found at rockyourretirement.com slash senior living. Talks about all of those things that Sydney mentioned, the myths for long-term care and nursing homes. And please, we'll see you next week on Rock Your Retirement. Thanks for listening to the Rock Your Retirement show. If you are rocking your retirement or know someone who would make a great guest on our show, please send us an email at podcast at rockyourretirement.com. Oh, wait. I wanted to thank you again for listening to the Rock Your Retirement Show. If you're a new listener, a good place to start is episode 116. This explains the six pillars of retirement lifestyle and our general philosophy. Episodes 1 through 236 can be thought of as an encyclopedia. These are topics that may or may not be interesting to you. You can listen to the ones that you're interested in and forget the rest until the issue becomes an issue for you. And that's okay. I actually don't recommend starting with episode one and working through until the most recent. 
That's actually not how the show was designed. Of course, if you want to do that so you can see how the show changed over time, you're welcome to. Now, starting in August, actually August 31st of 2020, we changed the format of the show. The monthly episodes starting with 237 follow a real retiree from her pre-announcement through her first year of retirement. There might be bonus episodes, but we're committed to monthly. If you've enjoyed any of our past shows or the show that you've just listened to and you want to support us, you can do so in any of the four ways. One, share this episode with a friend or family member who needs to hear it. This is the most important way that people find us. Since our audience is typically older, we grow by having our listeners share our episodes with others. Two, subscribe to or follow the show using whatever podcast catcher you're listening on right now. Now, if you're listening on your computer, you can listen on your smartphone by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I mean, I believe on all of them. If you can't find us on the podcast catcher that you'd like to use, send us a note on the website at rockyourretirement.com and we'll make sure that we get on your favorite podcast app. But basically, what you do is you download the app and then you search for the show and when you find it, you'll hit subscribe. Make sure it's the Rock Your Retirement Show and that you hear my voice when you listen. Um, actually, there were some episodes where Henry Shapiro was a guest. Uh, we, we actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the, the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show uh, when he decided to leave podcasting. Number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review. Whatever podcast app you're listening to normally has the option of leaving a review, either a written review saying how great the show is or just with stars. Five stars is typically the best. And of course, we're shooting for those five-star reviews. And if you tell us why you like the show, what you liked about it, it's actually easier for other people to understand what the show's about. A lot of people, when they find our show, they think it's about money. And of course, by now, you know that it's not. Number four, if you'd like to support us financially, of course, we're always appreciative of that. Just go to rockyourretirement.com slash support, and it will take you to our page where you can support us financially. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.